0: Alright, let's go to Daniel chapter 5 tonight. We are now coming to the end of the Babylonian reign. Therefore, we are approaching the end of the 70-year Babylonian captivity of the Jews. By the end of this chapter, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, will be killed as the Medo-Persian armies defeat the Babylonians. And I spent a fair amount of time last week highlighting How all of this is going to come to pass militarily, I tried to show what was happening behind the scenes while what's taking place in chapter 5. Remember that while Belshazzar is living it up and throwing a feast in his pride, the Medo-Persians are infiltrating the city because they redirected the Euphrates in order to lower the water levels enough to enter the city through the river that flowed through Babylon. It was considered to be impenetrable. (laughs) Oops. It's really intriguing what's happening this night in Babylon. And if you're interested in such details, please go back and listen to last week's message. Outside the city, um, the Medo-Persian army is entering in while inside the city they are partying without a care in the world. And in Belshazzar's pride... He calls for the vessels of the house of God, and they are drinking wine from them while praising their gods of gold and silver, wood and stone. And again, you have to listen to last week's, but in that same hour, fingers appear. Fingers appear of a man's hand and writes upon the wall, and the king who acted like he had no fear whatsoever is absolutely terrified. But remember what terrified him the most was his thoughts troubled him. He's got a guilty conscience. He doesn't even know the meaning of the writing on the wall, but he's troubled enough that he knew this is not going to be good for me. And we'll see in in this chapter that he was right to have a guilty conscience. So let's pick this account back up. That, that was a terrible recap from what we covered last week, but let's pick this back up. Belshazzar, he has seen the handwriting on the wall, and now in fear, he's going to cry aloud for his wise men. Let's begin by reading verses 7 through 9. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the kings... I wonder who the third guy was at this point, you know what I mean? It's like, sorry, pal, uh, you're getting kicked to the curb. (laughs) Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. And his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. So notice in verse 7 that Belshazzar, he does not call for his wise men to be brought in. But he cries aloud for his wise men to be brought in. And I point out the obvious so that we can keep the scene in our minds that this puffed up king is now completely terrified in this moment. And remember, he went pale. His thoughts are troubling him, so much so that we saw last week that the joints of his loins were loosed. His knees buckle and knock together. He cries aloud in fear for these wise men. He wants them to read and interpret what has been written, and whoever can do this is going to be rewarded very well. But of course, they can't read it. They obviously cannot interpret it. And now the king becomes troubled even more. His countenance changes yet again. Maybe his color returned, I don't know. But he went pale again. And, and we see that his lords, who were part of the great feast in verse 1, they're astonished. In other words, they're perplexed by this whole thing. And this is significant because you're not allowed to act this way in front of the king. You're supposed to be happy. And the king can just kill somebody if he doesn't like their mood. <laughs> that's that's crazy amount of power, right? And so, you, you know, you're supposed to be acting a certain way in his, his presence. He wants joyful attitudes. But this does show us how serious this moment is. And I'm really not sure if there's something to this or not, but it's interesting the lords are not said to be terrified like the king was. And now it says the king is greatly Troubled, which may further highlight his guilty conscience. And I've wondered why the king's pagan wise men could not read and interpret this when, as we'll see later on, Daniel comes right in and does it right away. And there's no indication that he needed time, he just interprets the thing. And and I've wondered why he has no hesitation and and they can't do this. And and you'll come across a number of opinions on this, but it would seem the simple answer here is the best answer. And that is God simply had blinded their minds and made it to where they could not because this is being reserved for Daniel to interpret in order that God would get the glory. And also that Daniel would be honored, I suppose, but maybe Daniel knows the end is now. And so he's going to tell him later on, you can keep your stuff because the the kingdom's falling tonight, you know. Thanks for making me number three. Um, I appreciate Clarence Larkin's thoughts on this matter. He wrote this, the true reason was that it was a message from God, and it takes a man of God to interpret the words of God. And I thought that was insightful. I just put it this way, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And the Word of God is a spiritual book and it takes the Spirit of God to rightly understand it. And so that made a lot of sense here. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Remember in Acts 8 when Philip heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked him, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he replied, How can I except some man should guide me? So it took a child of God in that case to expound the word of God because this is a spiritual book. Now I could preach right there. Let's keep moving. Verses 10 through 16. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the day of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father made a master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in this same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the, uh, the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou, Daniel, which are of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known in me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. So the queen, she catches word of what's going on down at the banqueting hall. She probably heard the the change of a normal party noise to something that was vastly different. Perhaps it means that somebody came and got her and and filled her in on what was going on, but she comes in and tries to help the king. And the queen that's mentioned here is not his wife, and we can draw this conclusion because in verse 2, his wives are present at this feast. Therefore, it is generally agreed that the queen that is spoken of here is the queen mother, but there's still debate on which one she would actually be because if you've ever tried to study the family line in Babylon, it's very difficult. There's not a whole lot of records that exist. And so I decided for the comfort of the saints to take out my hours of research on this and not bore you to death because I was starting to lose my mind. And the reason I took it out is because when all is said and done, I can't tell you who it is but I am going to tell you some things. (laughs) And if you want my opinion afterwards, you can come and see me, but make it quick, I'm ready to go to bed. (laughs) I'm just saying, it's been a long week. Uh, She seems to have been alive during the days of Nebuchadnezzar, at least during the days that he lived like a beast in the field, which was on the tail end of his reign. And remember, he was in the field for seven years. How she fits into the kingly line, it's not known for sure. Most identify her as a woman named Nicotis. And there was a Greek historian, an ancient historian named. um, Let me see if I can get the pronunciation here. Herod. (laughs) I knew I was going to mess this up. Herodotus. Anyway, he he said of this woman that she was a very prudent woman. And it said that this queen, when when Babylon fell, that she was a lady of wisdom and discretion. In fact, they said a lady of eminent wisdom and discretion. And that really does seem to be the case here as we're we're watching this scene unfold. She's the one that comes in and really starts to inform the king on how he, he can best go about this. And we can say by the way she enters the king's presence and how she's able to talk to this man that it makes sense she would be his mom. <laughs> Amen. You picking this up? <laughs> because this isn't how you come in and talk to the king. I mean, she starts out well enough, oh king, live forever. That's what everybody said, even though they all died. Go figure. But she, she just comes in and she just starts talking to this man and Um, I believe it's her son. And so she just comes in, and and I believe this is why he shows her so much deference. And in this moment, his mother can talk to him like this. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Uh, We were down in Georgia this year and visiting parents, and you got to my parents' house a couple hours before me, and my mom was telling Carson somehow she's the queen bee or something like that. Yeah. And she's like, when Gary gets here, he'll verify it or something. So I walked in she goes, am I the queen bee? And I said, oh yeah, absolutely. And Carson's like, what? I didn't think you would agree. It's mom. (laughs) You agree with mother. Amen. Anyway. And I don't know, maybe Belshazzar got so scared, he called for his mommy. It's okay, baby. Mama's here. She'll take care of it. The mean man wrote on the wall over there. (laughs) In verse 11 and 12, she proceeds to inform Belshazzar about a man named Daniel. At this point, he's got to be in his mid-80s probably. And I wondered why, how come Belshazzar doesn't know about Daniel? Does it mean Daniel's like retired, quasi-retired? Did Belshazzar just not do his homework and didn't care to learn about his kingdom? Is it just a case of being out of sight, out of mind? Most believe what led to Daniel being forgotten in the court was when a new king would take over, they would often put their people in. And you would get rid of the the old folks that were uh, in power at that time. Kind of like when a president is elected and he selects a new cabinet. It's kind of the, the same thought there. And, and by this point, when Belshazzar comes on the scene as king, there's already been, I think, three, maybe four changes in, in the king. So that could be the case. And as I was just pondering this, isn't it kind of sad that Daniel is nearly forgotten? I mean, to me, it's just kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? Here's a man that was most likely a teenager when he was taken captive, and he Was faithful to God through it all, he did what the wise men of Babylon could not do in interpreting dreams and visions. And God was with him. He was elevated to the position of ruler over the province of Babylon. And he was elevated to the ruler of all the wise men. I mean, this was a man of prominence. And he had done a lot of great things. And I just just find it kind of sad now that Who's Daniel? It's just a couple of generations later, and the current leadership isn't even aware that there's a man like Daniel living in his kingdom who served his grandfather so faithfully. And and listen, we should be careful to remember the servants of the past. Amen. Amen we should remember and seek out the help and advice of our senior saints. Hey, nobody deserves to be put on the shelf because of age. And I want our elders here to know that while you may not can shoulder the load you once could physically, just because your capacity may change, you're still a valuable part of this body of believers. I believe you have far more to offer than you give yourself credit for. You have wisdom, experience, knowledge. You have a perspective on what is truly important in life. Because now all that stuff is like, why did I focus on all that stuff? You've lived long enough to know that that stuff's just not important. You know how to walk with God, and I believe you have a voice we need to hear. And it's been my desire that our senior saints would just get under a burden to pray. And it's not like prayer's the last thing. It's the first thing we should do. But when somebody says, I, there's nothing I can do. Yes, there is. We all can pray. Amen. To those of you who feel like you don't have much to offer, just imagine if y'all got together in prayer. And I mean, really got a hold of God. And begged God to do something great for this generation coming up. And, and I'll just throw this out there. But for those of you who go to the press on Tuesday afternoons, This is not a rebuke. It's probably going to sound like it. But if you can go to lunch on the first Tuesdays of every month after working at the press, then why can't you get together and pray on the other Tuesdays? Just a thought. You're already assembled. Why not get together and pray? Well, amen, preacher. I love that you're encouraging us tonight. (laughs) And, And to our young people, you know, seek the advice and counsel of seniors. It may surprise you to learn what all they've been through. I know for a fact there are those here who have walked through the valleys some of you are walking through now and have faced terrible hardships that some of you are facing and they know how to make it through. Can you imagine being 20 years old in Babylon during this time and you got to sit down with an 85-year-old Daniel? Wouldn't that be something? You know, my my heart is so heavy for Brother Cliff Coleman, and I know he's with the Lord, but man, that just didn't sit right with me on how he left this world. And some of you don't even know who I'm talking about, but a man that lived 85, 86 years, and nobody really got to... It's just sad how somebody who lived a life that was... He had a very... Interesting life. And I enjoyed talking to him about his time in the military and all that. And, and, and most people probably didn't even know what all he had been through. But I, I guess my point is if we would sit down with some of our senior saints and talk with them, we'd be surprised what we would learn. And if I was sitting down with Daniel and I was listening to this man, it, you know, I think about the time I had as a preacher boy with Pastor Williams and just listening to this man Give wisdom. And and just remembering that, you know, this guy's forgotten more than I'll ever learn. And here here you are in Babylon and you're talking to to Daniel and you're getting first hand account of these chapters we're studying. And I'm sure there was a lot more that he could have shared because there's questions I have. And it just would be fascinating to be able to talk to him. And we have those kind of old timers in our church. They have great testimonies of how the Lord has worked in their life. But you never know it until you talk with them. Amen. I I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but I was thinking of Sister Jenny today as I was studying this. And um, at Eastside, the the book was on the table by Bill Byers. And um, her husband wrote that book and the time that they spent on the road and how they went out on faith. And just good stuff, good testimonies. You know, Brother Furz, I was thinking about you and, and how the Lord brought you out of the business world and, and to serve the Lord, to walk away from all that success and just give your life to Christ and Amen. pastor a church and end up going on the road and raising funds for the press. and um, we, We've got so many great testimonies in this church. We we really need to get to know them. And uh, it'll encourage us. And I, I really could spend all night on this thought because I, I'm just burdened about it. But... Um, I do want to point out another principle here, though, by way of application. When the past generations are forgotten, it often does not end well. It's, It's the principle of the third and fourth generation in our Bible. Remember when there arose a king that didn't know Joseph? Well, here's a king, and he doesn't know Daniel, and he's going to be dead before this night's over with. And I'm just saying, we need to be mindful of how we got here tonight. Is everybody with me? How did this body of believers come into existence? I know it was of God, but still it took a man with a vision from God. It took people to get behind that vision. It took hard work. It took prayer. It took sacrifice. It took money. Liberty Baptist Tabernacle did not just appear out of nowhere. The next two generations of our church are critical. Right now, we still enjoy the blessing of having some first-generation members among us. got a charter member sitting right there. And we have a lot of people that have been here a long time. And you remember Pastor Williams, and you remember their sacrifices. You remember what it took to get this building and all those things and start the school. And so right now, we have enough in the second generation that remember the first generation that I think we're heading in the right direction right now. And and hopefully if enough of our children stick around, there'll be a third generation that still has a memory of that first generation. But what's going to happen when there's no one left here that doesn't know the first generation? And, and that's that's the tipping point. Once great churches and seminaries in our land are no more, and... A lot of that happened in the third and fourth generation. Uh, Brother Brock's here tonight. I, I think there's some others, but graduated Tennessee Temple. It doesn't even exist. How sad. What's going to happen here? And and just to be clear, I'm not saying it's a matter of, of remembering a man because the church has to go on without knowing those people. But I, I can put it this way to you. We need to remember those foundational doctrines that started all of this. The Word of God, of course. And so we've got to be mindful of those things. Be assured that that first generation had the right doctrine. That's why we're here. I believe that's why we're being blessed today. And so we we need to keep that in mind. What did they do right in 1979? They agreed on doctrine. And we have to keep that going. Well, like I said, I could be here all night on this. Let's get back to our text again. So the queen mother comes in and informs Belshazzar, the king, that there's a man in the kingdom named Daniel who served your father, Nebuchadnezzar. He was actually his grandfather. but As you know, many times in the Bible, father is used... In that sense, even in the New Testament where, you know, they talk about their father, Abraham. How many generations were they removed by then? So anyway, um, he was actually, Nebuchadnezzar was actually Belshazzar's grandfather, but that's just how they spoke back then. And now notice her description of Daniel. First, he is said to have had the spirit of the holy gods. So obviously she has that wrong in, in that Daniel didn't possess the spirit of the holy gods. He possessed the spirit of the holy God right. And so she has it right in the sense that Daniel had something that was not of this world. And I want you to pick up on that. She's a pagan woman doing the best she can to describe a godly man. So I'll give her a little bit of grace. <laughs> she goes on to say he possesses light, understanding and wisdom. He was the master of the wise men. He had an excellent spirit. He had knowledge and understanding. And isn't it amazing here at the end of verse 12 that she goes ahead and speaks for Daniel and says, He will show you the interpretation. (laughs) Woo! That's pretty bold. He'll show you the interpretation. And this is an amazing testimony from a lost woman about God's child. She's lost in her paganism, but she knows there's something different about this man named Daniel. And and I marvel again at how some just cannot come to the truth. They just refuse. She even calls him Daniel, his Hebrew name. Now, don't you think there ought to be a, a certain amount of this kind of thinking towards all of God's children by the lost? When they try to describe us to their lost friends, and they might be off... They might be off base doctrinally, but shouldn't they at least be able to say there's something different about those people down there at that church? Shouldn't they be able to recognize that we have an excellent spirit? They should know we possess light. They should know we have a certain amount of understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And if people are looking for help, they ought to be able to say, I know a man. Or I know a woman. I know someone that's different. What a great testimony that Daniel has here among the pagans. So what's your testimony? Think in your mind, if your, if your coworkers were to talk about you behind your back, what would they say about you? What, what would your family say when you're not around? What would friends say? And I'm not asking if they agree with you. But... Would they speak favorably of your character? Do they recognize something about you is not of this world? In short, we should have the attributes of Christ. And as we read this description of Daniel, we're seeing Christ. And that's who we should be reminded of. There is a man... We know Jesus possessed the Spirit of God, or else how could he breathe on his disciples and say, Receive ye the Holy Ghost? We know Jesus is light. When he came on the scene publicly, he announced, or the Bible announces, prophecy was being fulfilled. As he read, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. John the Baptist called Jesus the true light. Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." In John 14 or 12:46, Jesus said, "I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness." Jesus has understanding. At the age of 12, while at the temple, he's Asking the doctors questions and he's hearing them. And the Bible says all that heard him were astonished at his understanding. Luke 24, 45, one of my favorite passages. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Jesus has wisdom. As Jesus grew up, we're told He increased in wisdom. Wisdom. In Matthew 13, 54, we read, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch as they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man wisdom? Jesus mentioned that the queen of the south would, she came from a great distance to go hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said, A greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus had far more wisdom than Solomon ever had. Jesus has knowledge. We're told in the Gospels how Jesus knew their thoughts and their hypocrisies. He he, it says in John 18 4, Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, in John 19 28, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. And we know Jesus is the key to interpretation, showing hard sentences and dissolving doubts. Matthew 13, 34, and 35, And these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake He not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And I want to tell you tonight, there's a man. She says, there's a man in your kingdom, and and there's there's a man in, in the kingdom that we live on this earth, if you will, that there is a man. And He's the one we need. Amen. Amen. The the Queen says here at the end of verse 12, Now let Daniel be called. Jesus is who we need to call upon. He is the one we need to seek for. There is a man in thy kingdom. When Jesus was born, the wise men came from the east saying to Herod the king, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? There was a man in his kingdom that possessed all these attributes. There was a man in the kingdom of Judea. When we're dealing with people, we can tell them, there is a man. Let him be called. You call for him. John 1, verses 45 and 46, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. (laughs) That's what we need to be doing. There was a Samaritan woman who came to the well to draw water, and Jesus came to her, and I won't rehash all that. Long story short, she knew to be on the lookout for the Messiah. Jesus tells her, I that speak unto thee am He. And what did she do? She left her water pot. She went into the city. And what did she say to the men? Come see a man. Come see a man which told me all things that I, ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Hey, there is a man. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There is a man who was born of a virgin. And He was God in the flesh. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He took upon Him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled Himself, became obedient. Became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 47 and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Hey, there's a man. In the Bible, he, He's called the Son of Man. He is the great Son of Man. Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Matthew 9, 6, The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Matthew 12, 8, For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Son of Man said, I have nowhere to lay My head. The Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of sinners. These are what these verses say about the Son of Man. The, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. The Son of Man suffered many things. The Son of Man was lifted up to die. The Son of Man was three days in the grave and rose again. Whoop! The Son of Man ascended and is exalted on high at the right hand of the Father. And one day, the Son of Man will come again in the glory of the Father. Revelation 14:14 14, 14, and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle there is a man there's a man and he gives the spirit of God there is a man that in him is light understanding wisdom knowledge in him the scriptures are unlocked do you know him Do you call upon him? There is a man who is God in the flesh. And I hope you're walking with him tonight. In him are all the answers of life. Not in a religion, but in a relationship with the Son of Man. There is a man. Would you run to him? Let's pray.